Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. It's Labor Day. Hope that you're off today. Hope you're able to enjoy some time with friends and family. A lot of times when you're off on Monday, it means a late night on Sunday. It didn't for me. Well, I had ate dinner, watched a movie, and uh, I went to bed. Didn't watch uh, a lot of that ball game last night, and many of you did. And what, what a great, great game last night between Florida State and Notre Dame. Uh, Milton McKenzie, of course, got it uh, worked back from a uh, pretty devastating injury. At the time, he was considered one of the best players in college football. Three years later, nearly pulls off a major upset. Pretty good uh, tribute to Bobby Bowden in the ball game. If you hadn't seen it, the uh, Florida State Seminole marching band played uh, Amazing Grace, and they spelled out Bobby on the field. Bobby Bowden, a, uh, a great ambassador for college football. People forget he signed the first ever million-dollar contract. If memory serves me correct, he signed the first million-dollar deal. It was supposed to be like a lifetime contract, and at the time it was like, oh, my gosh, look at this. And then you look at the numbers of guys are getting paid today. I mean, it just kind of, it's, you know, you get coordinators making double that now. But Bobby Bowden was the guy in college football for a long time. He really was. And uh, had a lot of fun. Was a guy that was always very quotable. But Florida State has not been Florida State in a long time. You know, Jimbo Fisher had a good run there for a while, left to go to A&M, and he just signed a huge contract. What's he making, $9 million a year? For a guy that hadn't won much at A&M? It's awfully interesting. But listen, we've got a lot of college football to talk about today. We're going to break down the Bulldogs' win over Louisiana Tech, much closer than uh, we expect it to be and probably much closer than it should have been. But it is what it is. Mississippi State didn't quit in the game. I'll be honest with you, I did. After Will Rogers threw that pick six, I said, well, this is it. Man, the message boards are going to be rough. Social media is going to be rough. We're going to be chasing the season the entire year now. It's going to be that much more difficult to make it to a bowl game when you lose a game you're not expected to. We found a way to win. And there's been some, a lot of reaction, as you guys are well aware. And the first thing that I'm going to tell you is I'm never going to be unhappy that we won, ever, ever. I guess I've been a state fan long enough to know that, uh, you know, we have to relish and cherish every victory. But there are a lot of people, too, oh, you know, well, there's this and there's that. Listen, there's a lot that we can look at that ball game and kind of pick apart. There's a lot of things we can do better. And one of the first points that I want to make about the ball game is it's not like Louisiana Tech dictated terms to us. If you go back, and we'll talk about this over the course of the show, it was about our own inability to execute at times. It's not like Tech came in here and they confused us and that sort of stuff. There were some times that they, you know, they – kind of covered their uh, coverages and disguised their coverages a little bit that uh, caused Will to hang on to the football a little bit. That led to some issues with protection. I think it's important to note, too, Will Rogers was hit six times on Saturday. Six. Three of those were sacks. 
a couple other times he was just hurried. But uh, of those six, five of the six came after at least three seconds of pass protection, one of them nearly four seconds of pass protection. A couple times they ran the uh, kind of a prowler package of sorts. They, they basically didn't have anybody in, a, in a, a down alignment. You had guys just kind of there walking around and kind of confusing your, uh, your splits a little bit because they, they didn't get lined up. You know, they were just kind of walking around, similar to what Jilly Dunn did against uh, Kentucky back in 97. They ran it. They were very successful with the stunts. That they really confused us at times with the stunts. But again, I, th- I thought actually, and maybe I'm in a minority. I think when you go back and you objectively look at the game and take the emotion out of it, actually the offensive line played really well at times, especially in the second half. They did have some issues early on, and to expect you know, an offensive line, of course, that has uh, four guys starting in new positions for the first time, not to mention Scott Lashley starting for the very first time, and actually earned, uh, you know, some honors from the from the staff. I, I shared with you guys many times that I, you know, I thought that the line was better, but it was probably the one unit on the offense I was most concerned about. Okay, that, that proved to be correct. But Scott Lashley was the guy I was probably most concerned about, and I really thought he handled himself well. We didn't have a lot of pressure off that right side. And it wasn't perfect by any stretch of imagination, but I thought Scott played well. I think that bodes well you know, for the future. And that whole pass protection thing, you know, you're, you're a unit out there. I mean, you know, offensive line's got to block, obviously, and you've got to have some backs pick up, some, uh, some blitz pickups. Quarterback's got to get the ball out on time. Will Rogers himself will tell you there were a couple times he had on the football too long, and ultimately it cost us. There were a couple times, too, we tried to evade pressure and just wasn't able to get out of it. I mean, that's just kind of part of the deal. But in the second half, Mississippi State offensive line did not have a pre-snap penalty and allowed just the one sack. And when we're going to drop back and throw it 50-plus times a game, there's going to be quarterback pressure. Here's an interesting statistic that I kind of stumbled upon yesterday. It's kind of as preparation for the show. It's kind of looking to see, you know, because of the fact that we are dropping back to pass a lot more often, you know, are we really seeing that many more sacks? Are we seeing more quarterback pressure? And, you know, last year the offensive line was, you know, really a work in progress in many respects because of contact tracing rules. We never knew from one week to the next who was going to start. But let's go back to 2019. That's the uh, the Tommy Stevens-Garrett Schrader year. You know, a lot of people thought, well, you know, Garrett Schrader, more mobile guy, right? So in 2019 – Mississippi State had 315 passing attempts, 315. We dropped back to pass more than that, obviously, because we did have some sacks, and there were some times that you know, a quarterback would scramble. We had 315 passing attempts. That season, we allowed 31 sacks, 31. And that's in a 13-game schedule, right? But when you look at the average, you know, it's basically one out of every 10 pass attempts, we gave up a sack. I don't know if that's a number we can live with. But let's look at 2020 against a SEC-only schedule plus the bowl game, right? Played a couple less games, but we dropped back to pass 557 times. That's just the passing attempts. 557 passing attempts in 2020. How many? So, you know, based on the numbers, you would think, okay, we probably gave up uh, 50-something sacks, right? Wrong. I was shocked by this. To be honest with you, we give up just 34 sacks. So we gave up three more sacks. Yes, we played two less games. But the percentage-wise, 
we actually didn't get sacked at the same rate we did in 19, despite the fact that we were throwing it almost twice as much. Interesting, to say the least. But the offensive line's got to play better. And they did in the second half. You know, a lot of these guys, too, we mentioned uh, not having a lot of experience. A lot of these guys, too, you know, you've been in practice and there's so much that goes on in practice. And, and you're, listen, let's be honest, there's a different level of intensity on game day. You get out there and you're playing against your friends in practice, and yeah, you go at it pretty hard, but it's a little different deal on game day. And to give Louisiana Tech some credit here, too, they were better than I expected them to be from a personnel standpoint. 19 transfers, how many of you saw that? It's just, it's it's incredible to think about this transfer portal thing. And I think Louisiana Tech is probably a good example of a team that's really benefited from the transfer portal. A good friend of mine yesterday made a comment. He goes, you know, the, the, the portal is going to create more parity in college football because you're going to have more power five guys playing at a G5 level. Maybe they go somewhere and don't get to play in time they expect. And they say, well, let me just go somewhere else. And I think we saw that in week one. You guys know Tulsa lost, right, to an FCS team? Washington loses to Montana. Washington State loses some other teams lost and so we weren't one of those and while there are there's a lot of warts on the game I can look at this and say you know what this is gotta be better it's gotta be better we didn't have to lose the game to learn the lesson and the Bulldogs back on the practice foot on Sunday Sunday and I understand it was a very spirited practice they'll enjoy a day off today Michael Leach will speak with us later today we'll have full coverage of that press conference over at jeanspage.com if you're not a member you, you certainly should be that information will be free though Come by and check it out. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Had dinner there. Uh, let me see. What do we eat there? Friday, maybe? Had a great time. And I got, see, I got the, uh, what well, I call it the Nemeth. It's not on the menu as the Nemeth. But every time Mike Nemeth and I go to Bulldog Burger Company, he always gets an order of spring rolls for himself and then a large order of fries. That's a lot of carbs for a man on the prowl. But I got the spring rolls as a dinner. And then had a couple chicken wings, too. It was great. The spring rolls work as an entree, as well as an appetizer. I think it's the best appetizer in uh, the Golden Triangle. I don't think there's any question. You will, too. Go check it out. The, uh, the youngest son of the Robertson tribe, Ian, is now on the freshman 15 kick. That was one of my favorite, first favorites at Bulldog Burger Company, is the freshman 15. And sometimes I like to trip, take a trip down memory lane and enjoy that again. So next time, I'm going to get the Freshman 15 again. I think you should check that out, too. Three great locations to serve you. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I always have. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the brand new at Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgeland. A lot of great reviews about what's happening down there. Come to town, check it out. When you're out and about, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's jump into the ball game. Let's break this thing down. Let's take our time and kind of go through it. Because a lot of times people get caught up in the emotion of it all, and it's like, oh, my gosh, we're about to lose. And we kind of lose objectivity. And uh, we've seen a lot of that on social media. And the bottom line is we're 1-0. We're 1-0. All right, so we win the toss, and uh, we elect to receive, which is always interesting. You know, it's like when you know, when Mullen was here, it's always like we wanted to have the uh, – the ball coming out of the half. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of that guy too. 
You know, I kind of like having the ball first because no matter what happens, if I've got the lead at the half and I can score on an opening drive at the second half, then it puts me up two scores late. But also, too, if I'm down at the half, I want to have an opportunity to get even. So I, I like to have the ball first. Leach uh, likes to go on offense first. So we get going. So uh, LaDietrich Griffin, Tulu, picks up where he leaves off from the Armed Forces Bowl. Returns open and kick off 38 yards out to the MSU 43. I'm not exactly sure why you'd kick to him and keep kicking to him, but they did. And, and that's good for us, right? Guy's a real weapon. He really is. And, uh, you know, we didn't play a whole lot last year, but when he did, he was effective. And so we'll talk more about him later in the show. So we open up and, you know, we go out there. We dump it off to uh, Austin Williams right there across the middle, kind of a safety valve type thing, puts you in a second and six. Then we go to Rara Thomas. I think there's a really good chance Rara Thomas is going to be a start at Mississippi State. Where's number 84? We go down the field, 21 yards. We're already down to the Tech 32. First down, we're rolling, right? Feeling great about life. Marks and runs for no gain. And then we get the, the holding penalty on Dollar Bill. And so we're behind the chain. So a promising drive in plus territory, and automatically it's second and 20. We set up a great middle screen there, and we throw it to Dylan Johnson, and DJ drops football. Now, a little bit, maybe a little bit too much pepper on it from Will, but DJ will tell you he should have had that. And if you look at the play, we had an army of blockers up there. I don't know if he's going to score there, but we're about to get a big chunk play. So here we are right out of the gate, back-to-back plays, kind of aiding in our own demise. We get the holding call. We get a drop on a play that's about to break. Brings up a third and 20. We go to Makai Polk for his first catch as a Bulldog for eight yards. Gives you a reasonable shot to field goal, and then Ruiz misses the field goal 52 yards. Now, not that I ever, you know, you can never take anything for granted 50 yards plus, but I guess I've gotten spoiled Brandon Ruiz. I expect him to make every kick. And so this opening drive starts out with promise, and then we shoot ourselves in the foot, right? Not anything that Tech did. It's what we did. Tech gets the ball, and we get it right back, right? So the first play is incomplete, and it's a PBU by Colin Duncan. The next play is uh, they try to work a little bubble out there and uh, throw it to Smoke Harris, and uh, we blow it up for a loss, but we're offsides there. So it should be, you know, uh, third and 11 here, but it's not because we, we make a mistake. But we nullify the mistake with a great play by Tyrus Wheat. Basically at point-blank range, you know, he picks off that pass. Told you guys all camp, I thought Ty Wheat was uh, probably the most improved guy on defense. He's almost unblockable at times. And here he is making a great play in pass coverage. And you're right there at the line, too. It wasn't like he's you know, out there in the flats when they get ready to throw it out there, undercutting the route. It's a very athletic play. And something that I'm sure that NFL general managers are going to look at a lot as they evaluate him. So we get out of that. Again, there's been two possessions. And Mississippi State's made mistakes on both of them. But it's a nothing-nothing ball game. We have the ball now plus territory. We start at their 40. We go to Tulu for 11. We're rolling. Complete the poke for four. And then we give it. And we drop back the pass. And Rodgers runs for six and slides down. We're in the red zone for the first time. Go back to Polk for nine. Now we're to ten. We give it to, to Woody Marks, who I thought was outstanding. You know, we've talked about in camp how he looks bigger, he's running stronger. You guys saw it on Saturday. 
Woody Marks is a better player than he was a year ago, running with a lot more confidence, running through people. And you really saw that on this first and seven play, first and goal from the seven. We swing it out to Woody, and he blows up Cedric Woods at the goal line. Now, we go out of bounds there, but there was a message delivered there, not just to Louisiana Tech, but I think to everybody that, you know, Woody Marks is a different player. Right back to him on a swing route. I mean, and it's to the short side of the field. I mean, so it's interesting. You know, we were able to block that up pretty well. Make a good throw there. Keep your guy in bounds. And he walks in the end zone. Ruiz is good. It's a 7 nothing ball game. So, again, two drives here. And you know, we're moving the ball pretty effectively. This time we don't do anything to impede our own progress when we get into the end zone. Louisiana Tech takes over at uh, – if they're 23, they complete the smoke Harris for two. Nothing there, really. Austin Kendall rushes for two. We flush him. And then they get flagged with a holding penalty. Seems like there should have been a couple more of those, but uh, I digress. All right, so now it makes it a second and 18. They're complete to Graham, and it's a one-yard loss. Emmanuel Forbes blows it up there. Emmanuel Forbes, I think by the end of the year, we, we might all agree he may be our best defensive player. All around. The fact that that guy can tackle as well as he does really amazes me when you see how thin he is. But he just doesn't have any regard for his own safety. Darcel McBath's corners are going to tackle because Darcel McBath tackled. He's going to recruit that. He's going to coach that. And I think Emmanuel Forbes is really the kind of guy he's looking for, the long, lean, athletic corner that's not scared to get physical. Forbes really was on this play. So now it's third and 19. They basically check it down. They get nine. And they punt. And then here we are again. You know, we do the fit. We, Austin Williams is back there. It's a fair catch guy at the 26. And then we get flagged for holding backs us up to the 15. Despite that, uh, we put a couple things together here. Probably should have done much more. But again, this is a situation where we impede our own progress. We're complete to Polk for a yard out of the 16. We go to Jaden Wiley for 17. Get that ball up on the on the far side there. And we're off and running, right? We're up to 33. We're complete to Marks for no gain. And then we rush for one yard. And then we get sacked on third and nine. And this is where they run the little stunt. They, they basically bring the mic and loop him around the left tackle. And so a lot of people initially, you look at that and you say, oh, well, Charles Cross got beat there. You know what? And that's how it looks. But the reality of that is, is if you look at you know, Cam, Cameron Jones, who was playing left guard for really the first time in his career, you got to be at different levels there so, so Cross can pass his guy off and then get that guy, that you know, the stunt looping around. Well, they just didn't communicate there. And so it's not just a Charles Cross issue. It's a left side of the offensive line issue, and that, that'll get fixed. You know, contrary to popular belief, Mason Miller is a really good offensive line coach. They'll get that handled. But they surprise us a little bit with it. And, and what do you do? If you're a defensive coach worth your salt and you look up and say, okay, listen, they've got, they've got an offensive lineup here that's got a lot of guys in different spots, communication may be a bit of an issue. So what do I do? Let me confuse these guys and say, yeah, well, they communicate. So good call by Tech, it works out for them. And, again, as, as the season goes on, we'll get better at that. So we punt. And then uh, so Louisiana Tech gets the ball back. Very first play of the drive, they try to run a little option-style play, and the guys are too close together. The spacing's off. The pitch is hot. It gets loose. Aaron Odom recovers it down at the Tech 33. 
So two turnovers and three possessions for Tech. And listen, the charity wasn't limited to the guys from Ruston. We, we were very charitable, too, as you guys are well aware. But here we go. We give it to Woody Marks, who goes for nine. We go back to, to Tula Griffin for 20. So, you know, we're going to be inside the five there. And what happens? we got a holding call. This one's on Charles Cross, backs us up 10 yards. The good news is it's not one of those where we were already in bad shape. You know, we were in second one spot there as opposed to second 10, so we're not facing a second 20. Ends up being second 11. We go back to Woody Marks, who gets it for 14. Now we're rolling again. And uh, we, we throw that great slip screen to Jameer Calvin, who exploded. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know if we have anybody quite like him. I felt that something about my cop Polk, their skill set's much different. But Jameer Calvin's a guy that can run in traffic. I don't know that we have a catch-and-run guy. We've had a catch-and-run guy like Jameer Calvin, except maybe since Chad Bumpus. Now, I don't know that Calvin's going to have near the production that Chad did. But when he takes the inside screen there, that little slip screen, and gets inside, the guy knew how to navigate and knew how to set up his blocks, and he gets into the end zone. And he's awfully fired up there. If you, if you watch that video interview we did with him after the ball game, he's a very intelligent and articulate young man. You can see why he gets it. He also is a leech guy. It's a guy that understands the concepts, understands what's expected of him. So great opening uh, quarter, I think, in many respects. 14 nothing for us, and we're getting ready to go to the second quarter, right? Wrong. Nope, there's a little bit of uh, drama left to unfold. They get the ball at their own, 35, their own 25, excuse me, with 35 seconds to go. They, they rush for three, and I think at this point, I think we're all thinking they're going to run out the quarter. Well, they don't. They basically run one of the most basic concepts in football, just the kind of the pump and go. They pump. Emerson bites – excuse me. Forbes bites on the pump, and then Bub Means, former Tennessee wide receiver, runs by him, 72 yards for a touchdown. And there we are. And, again, this is about a lack of discipline. This is about, you know what, we relaxed a little bit. And maybe we just thought, okay, well, this thing's over with. Let's go ready to get some Gatorade or whatever. And they punched us. And give them credit. There's a big play there. But you know what? If, if we don't bite on a pump there, if we show a little bit of a discipline there, then um, it's a 14 nothing quarter. But give them some credit for punching back. All right, so we start there in the second quarter. And this is where the game we started having, you know, we started to bog down a little bit. So we started our own 25. We give it to DJ who runs for four. And then uh, we throw the ball to Jameer Calvin, and he is initially ruled a reception there on the sidelines. And, and really, I like to see my guy working back to the quarterback there, just a little bit wide of the line, I guess. They review it, and it's an easy call. He is out of bounds. Great effort. Just didn't work out. Brings up a third and six, and we're complete to Polk for five. We come up short of the line to gain there. You think, okay, we're, we're going to be okay here. We might even go for it. Well, we don't, and, we, and that's the right call there. With a 14-7 lead, you're on territory. You, you don't do that. And then we get a, a false start on DJ, and uh, that backs up to punt a little bit more, and then Tucker Day with a 39-yarder to the uh, Tech 32. And this is interesting here, too. You know, we have been decent against the run most years. We were really good against the run last year. We were good on Saturday. But in this particular drive here, we weren't. Marcus Williams, former Appalachian State running back, goes for seven, then they go for two, brings up a third and one, and we kind of sell out on the play. It's almost like we, we've kind of 
predetermined it's going to be a dive here. And so we bring a lot of pressure towards the middle, and Austin Kendall pulls it, and we lose outside contain there. And then once Kendall cleared the line of scrimmage, there was nobody in the middle of the field because everybody was in the box. And so, you know, football is a game, a guessing game at times. And so this is where we got outguessed. We brought the heat, sold out, trying to stop a third and short. Kendall makes a great decision. It's a touchdown. He wins the foot race. And if people forget, Austin Kendall signed with Oklahoma out of high school. It wasn't like he's just some scrub. It's not like he's some guy from, uh, you know, from down the bayou that's just kind of made his way through. This is a guy that was uh, you considered a real quarterback. And I think he's going to win us some games for sure. But he burns us right here. Now it's a 14-all ball game. We start over again at our 20. We decide to bring it out. And when we bring it out, you think, okay, well, I really wish he would just take the touchback there. You know, I, I don't think so. I think unless it's a situation where we know it's going to be blown up, that Tulu needs to bring it out because he's a weapon. There are a lot of times, too, that, you know, he only needs a couple blocks. Next thing you know, he's off to the races. That guy's a real weapon for us. And so he brings it out to the 20. Um, and so then we're complete to rah-rah for 25. And that's a great adjustment by a wide receiver. You basically throw it up before the DB's turned his head. Rah-rah undercuts the DB, makes a tremendous catch. What's interesting, I'll tell you about rah-rah. Is that, you know, there were some receivers here the you know, last couple of years that have been you know, highly heralded by some in the fan base. And Rodarius Thomas is a guy who was a late addition. Nobody even really talks about him. I think he only, only did one interview after he signed with Mississippi State. He's already got more catches than, than a lot of people's favorite receivers. Halfway through the first game. The kid's going to be able to play. Okay, so we go to Marks, we check it down to him, and it's no gain there. And this is one where I thought we, we were a little bit – we checked it down a little bit late, and there just wasn't a lot there. It's one of the only times I think Marks didn't fall forward. We go back to Woody for seven, brings up a manageable third and three, and um, we're driving again. We're on, we're on the Tech side of the 50, and then we give it to Woody again, runs off left side for eight yards, down to the Tech 40. Well, guys, we're about to score. We're about to score. And then we swing it out to DJ, and then he gets hit and, he's, and fumbles the ball. And it looked to me like it was out of bounds. I think everybody other than the uh, back judge thought it was out of bounds. If, if memory serves me correct, the linesman rules second down. He did throw his beanbag. The back judge comes up, and uh, they discuss it. They roll it a fumble recovered. And then when look at the replay. To me, it's bang-bang between his knees and his elbows. I thought his elbows got down out of bounds first. But because of the call on the field, the review is inconclusive. The call stands. I believe it was a bad call. I don't think it was a bang-bang play at all in that respect. I think the ball was out of bounds. But nevertheless, the officials ruled a fumble. And here's the thing. If DJ didn't fumble the football, we, we, we don't need a review. And I understand it's part of the game of football, but, uh, you know, this is a little charity here. You know, we just make a play right there. Some bad luck kind of found us, but, uh, you know, give Tech credit. You know, when you, when you run hard and play hard and you run into the football, good things happen. But, again, another promising drive. Again, we're in plus territory. It's not anything that they're doing. It's something we did. So Tech gets the ball, and uh, 
they don't score here, but they, they put a drive together and, and kind of flip the field on us a little bit. So they, they run for a yard here. Then they're incomplete on second nine, but we're offsides, makes it a second and four. They run for two, brings up a third and two. We got a chance to get off the field, and they swing it out to uh, to Griffin Bear, who gets eight. He's kind of a jumbo slot. He's not really a – he's got – it's probably not fast enough to play X, not big enough to play tight end. But he was an impressive player. I was impressed with him. Incomplete and then complete to Marcus Williams for eight, brings up a third and two, and then they get flagged for um, illegal substitution. Backs him up, makes it third and seven, incomplete, they got a punt. And then they, they, it's a short punt, but uh, they get us inside the, the 20 there. So it's we're going to set up at the 11-yard line. And they really flipped the field. And this, I thought, was probably one of the more significant changes of possession of the day. They won in this respect. You know, they, they pin us back deep, and then we do some things to not really help ourselves. And so we come out immediately, and we go to Polk out on the sidelines for seven, brings up a second and three, but guess what? Holding penalty. Holding penalty backs us up, makes it first and 15 at the six. Dollar Bill gets flagged for a second, holding penalty of the day. Well, then, you know, we get a little frenetic down there. This is the one time that I thought Will looked a little bit uncomfortable. We swing it out to Woody, probably shit on the ball away, ends up being a three-yard loss. Now, all of a sudden, it's uh, second and 18. Now, we're incomplete to Woody, and it very nearly could have been picked off. You throw the ball over the middle, you better make sure it's complete or it gets down, and the uh, linebacker there, if he'd have been paying attention, could have picked it off walked into the end zone. Then we swing it back out. No, we do the shovel pass. Excuse me. We run a shovel pass and um, lose two more yards. I mean, you look at that kind of stuff and you think, okay, this this has been a you know, comedy of errors on this drive. Holding, a couple bad decisions, and next thing you know, we're having a punt. I was just hoping Tucker Day could get it off. Well, he does, 44 yards, but – Tech sets up at our 45. They're already in plus territory. And so, again, they win that change of possession rather substantially. It's good football. Give them credit. Special teams gets the guys uh, back inside the 20, right around the 10, and then the defense holds it up, gets a three and out, takes the benefit of a, uh, a penalty. Now you're set up in scoring position, chance to take the lead. That's exactly what happened. They run for six, run for one, and then they beat – Kyle and Duncan inside on the post to Smoke Harris for 24 yards. And he was open off the line. It really was. And so, again, it's one of these situations where when it all starts going bad, it, it, it seems to permeate every part of the team. It's never a situation where, okay, well, it's just a handful of guys. No, it's everybody. It's everybody. All right, so we get the ball back, and uh, we're complete to marks for one, and then we get out to Polk for 10. For the first down, we got a chance to go make some things happen, right? Well, we don't. We're complete to marks for five, but we're ruled, you know, ineligible downfield. And that's really a situation where I think we may maybe held the ball a little bit too long. Lyman kind of lingered downfield. And then we're sacked and we fumble and they recovered again at our 39. Really a bad deal. And it kind of felt like, we, you know, at the very least, we're going to be down two scores here. But Mississippi State defense does a good job here. Absolutely does a good job here. 
very easily could have folded right here, but we didn't. We didn't. So uh, Williams runs for four. They get flagged for a false start, backs it up, makes it second 11. Incomplete uh, to Harris, and uh, Aaron Brule came free on a fire right there and absolutely smoked Kendall. Kendall just kind of throws it downfield in a no-man's land. They deep tag him for, for intentional grounding. And I thought it was a great time to blitz on second down. A lot of times that's kind of a read and react down. Zach Garnett bringing the heat, and it works. Brings up a third and 20, and they check it down to Harris, who gets four. And uh, basically, they lose yardage on the drive. Despite the fact they started our 39, they ended up punting from the 45, and it's into the end zone. So, great job by the defense there not to fold. We've got a chance here to, to get out there and get a couple things going under a minute to go. And what do we do? The first thing we do is get up a sack. Very first thing. And then we're complete to, to Woody for 10. They call timeout. We're trying to run the clock out. And then we hit it down to, to, to Woody again for 23. And then Wiley for 15 in the half. So, 21-14. And a lot of people are uncomfortable at this point, including me. Because I knew they were getting the ball first to uh, – to open the half. But again, you know, you go down through these drives and you look at this, you know, a lot of this stuff is self-inflicted. You know, I give Tech the credit for pinning us back deep and then, you know, making us pay a little bit. You know, we're trying to get out of the end zone. But we're a little conservative in our play call in there. And then, you know, we just didn't execute really well down there. And I give them some credit for maybe confusing the quarterback a little bit. But yeah, it didn't lead to points. That's really the only thing I look at and say, you know what, that wasn't necessarily self-inflicted. But even on that, we get a holding call. You know, if Dollar Bill didn't get flagged for holding there, it's a second and three. The next thing you know, you've got a chance to convert. But, uh, but we didn't. We blew it. So we go into the half down 21-14. There was not a lot of joy in Starkville, and there was about to be a lot more to complain about. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Thirds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas 
can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovis is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. All right, so we get into the second half. And of course, we have to kick again. And Brandon Weeze uh, kicks it into the end zone. Maybe even through the end zone. He's really good at that stuff. <laughs> that, guy's, that guy's an NFL kicker in my mind. All right, so Tech starts. It's, it's no gain on first down, then incomplete on second. Brings up a third and ten. We got a chance to get off the field. And I told Mike Nemeth, I said, if these guys go out and score in this opening drive, we're going to be in a world of hurt. Well, they didn't. Even though they converted on third and ten, the pass complete to Taj McGee. Uh, we hold. They run for five, incomplete to uh, to A Bear, and then incomplete to McGee. They punt, and uh, we've got it at our twenty-one. So we got a chance to go tie the ball game. Doesn't quite work out the way we hope. We're complete to Williams for seven. We're back to Jameer Calvin for seven. First down. Woody runs for seven, and it's a second and three. Very manageable. We're about to get off across midfield, and then there's a, a pre-snap penalty on Tulu. Backs us up, makes it a second and eight. We're incomplete to Tulu. They ran a little bit of a twist there, too, nearly got the quarterback, had a hurry there. And then, um, you know, the pass, Will Rogers pass complete to, to Dylan Johnson and um, ends up being a sack after that and a fumble. But it ends up being um, reviewed because his arm was going forward, and um, we get a chance to uh, to punt, which ended up being big for us because it really felt like the world was caving in on us right there. So they get the ball back uh, at their 25, complete to Harris for 11, then they're flagged for an eligible downfield, makes it first and 15, complete to Harris for seven, and then we get uh, flagged for illegal hands to the face, and I really thought this was a bit of a, a, a bad call. If you look at the play, it looked like the umpire kind of anticipated the call. You see the lineman's head pitch back, but there weren't hands to the face. It was Cam Young's forearm, basically. And it wasn't like he, he's trying to free himself, and then the guy's head pitches back. It wasn't like it was hands to the face where he's, you know, he, he's deliberately trying to hurt a guy. It's just kind of the rigors of interior line play. And I really thought it was a bad call. Uh, gave them 15 yards that allowed them to get out of their their side of the field and out toward midfield. And then incomplete to Griffin, and it's a false start. Makes it second and 15. Think, okay, we got a shot here. Kind of overcome this little issue here, and we do. Uh, they're complete to uh, Bear for 15, which uh, gets it out to the 37. And um, 
it's kind of interesting too, kind of looking at this stuff too. In hindsight, it's like every time that um, you know we had them backed up behind the chains, there were some times you know we, we couldn't keep them back behind the chains. So I give them some credit for kind of working that intermediate passing game there too. Uh, so they get the first down, and then Kendall Austin rushes for six. Harlan Dixon no gain, and then incomplete to a bear at our forty-two. They have to punt. We have it at the nine, and it seemed like for a long time we're backed up over and over and over again. Again, they're winning the battle of, you know, field position. Absolutely. Absolutely winning it, and that's what good teams do. So we're coming off our own goal line here, and we're complete to Austin Williams for 39 yard, for 30 yards out to the 39. We really thought we showed a little more urgency in that intermediate passing game, letting our guys catch and run a little bit. And so you're thinking, okay, we got a chance to go tie the ball game here. Maybe now we're good to go. We go back to Williams, and again, just kind of some bad luck here. But you got to be able to wrap the football up. And Austin is a very dependable player, and he'll tag it. This shouldn't have happened, but it did. He's laid on top of one guy, another guy heads him, ball comes out, they recover it at our 40. So again, another turnover in our territory. Tech has a chance to extend the lead. They do. They go up 10 here. Pretty quick drive for them. But again, defensively, I thought we played really well once they got inside uh, the red zone here. You know, the big play, of course, was the uh, the pass to Means to get inside the red zone. And uh, Martin Emerson, you know, I guess we're trying to strip the football there, and he carried us for about another 10 yards, it seemed. It seemed like we just got to make a play there, and we didn't. And he nearly got loose, but we finally get him on the ground. And then it's, you know, it's – Keon Brooks runs for uh, 10 yards down to the seven, and you think these guys are finna put this thing in the end zone. But the Bulldog defense, again, kind of bowed their backs a little bit and said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. They try to run a slant inside on Forbes. He breaks it up. They run for no yards, and then they check it down to Harlan Dixon in a great run and tackle in pursuit by Nathaniel Watson, who ran him down short of the goal line, brings up fourth down. They kicked field goal, and it really felt like the way our offense is playing at the time and the way that we couldn't stop shooting ourselves in the foot, that we might be in really bad trouble. That's how it felt. But business was about to pick up again for Louisiana Tech. So we get the ball at our 20, Marks goes for no yards, and then we're complete to Wiley for 17. We're out and running, right? And then we throw the pick six on first and 10. And that's the biggest, the bigger issue I have with all this is it's a first and 10 play. Let's just throw it away. This is a bad decision by Will. Will will admit that. Throws off his back foot. Kind of got baited into the pick there, too. The trade ball and picks it off, takes it back to the house. It is a 31-14 ball game. Now, at this point, I will be honest with you guys, Rose Bowl was no longer on the don't stop believing bandwagon. I thought the game was over. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I'm just glad the Bulldogs didn't, didn't quit. Then we learned a little bit about our team. So we get the ball back at our 25. We're incomplete to Wally. We're incomplete to Rara. We finally complete the Polk for two. We end up having a punt. Not a good series by any stretch of imagination. So now Tech is up three possessions with the ball to open the fourth quarter. Incomplete to McGee. Uh, and then they call P.I. on Jalen Green. And it was really one of those situations where he did impede his guy. But if he's playing the ball there, you're not going to get a call. But if you're out there basically just kind of blocking guys and not playing the football, they're going to flag you. They did. Thought we earned it. And then they run for five there. So, it's you know, we opened the fourth quarter. And I'll be honest with you, they started playing Don't Stop Believing. I wanted them to stop playing the music entirely. I was miserable at this point. Absolutely miserable. 
I, I knew what it was going to, I just, I, I could already feel it. And you guys could too. Many of you left. You did. I won't give anybody any code of conduct. I won't. But at this point, it was, a, it was an abysmal showing with Mississippi State. And we had had failures on both sides of the football. There was no question. But it was us. It was what we were doing to us. Austin Kendall and complete to Isaiah for 29 yards, Isaiah Graham it was. And that uh, gets it down to the uh, Mississippi State 22. They run for seven, incomplete. Uh, nice play there by Ty Wheat and Colin Duncan to make a play. And then incomplete to Harris brings up a fourth and three at our 15. They kicked field goal. Now we're down 20. It's 34 to 14. And uh, I remember thinking then, and I even put this in my notes column, I said, any, anybody that had any chance of a comeback has to begin with a touchdown on this drive. And, of course, uh, Tulu Griffin runs it back to the Tech 21. I thought he was going to house the thing. But he got the crowd back into it, and it showed the Bulldogs hadn't quit. We make short work of this thing. We're complete to Austin for 15 down to the six. Woody runs for five, then Woody's in the end zone. Now it's a 34-21 ball game. And, guys, there's like 12 minutes to go in the game. You're thinking, if we can just get a stop, maybe we can get back into this. Well, that's exactly what happens. Matter of fact, we get a three and out here. Incomplete to, to Bear, and Williams runs for four, and then they're complete again to Bear and Nathaniel Watson all up in his face there. Quarterback hurry. It's a three and out, and uh, they basically run a minute off the clock. Probably in hindsight should have run football. But they didn't. And listen, I, I don't begrudge anybody for playing to win, but sometimes this discretion's a better part of valor. We get the ball right here, and I'm just thinking, you know, if we go down here and score, you get the crowd back into it, our guys start believing again, their guys start doubting. Because remember, they were, what, a 24-point dog. And all of a sudden, you start thinking, here we go again. But what really happened is you saw a difference in the strength and conditioning programs. Tyson Brown's efforts paid off right here in the fourth quarter because Louisiana Tech was absolutely gassed on defense. We're complete to Rara for nine, and Woody runs for three to give us a first down out to the 35. We're complete to Polk for seven. We come back to DJ for eight, back to DJ for five. Then we're complete to Jameer Calvin for 40 yards. And it seemed like Jameer Calvin, everything that he did was significant for us. It seemed like every play that he was involved in was a big play for Mississippi State. It's big. And we talked about Polk off all. I wasn't sure Jamar Calvin was going to start until we got towards the end of fall camp, and all of a sudden he starts running with the ones. And I think you guys can see why now. This guy can really fly. And then we rushed for, uh, for, with Woody for five for the touchdown. Now it's a 34-28 ball game, and you look at the clock and you're thinking, man, it's like seven minutes to go. We just got to – we just got to get a play here. We can get, get, get our, our offense the ball back. We got all the mojo right now. We got a chance to win this thing. As crazy as we this has been and as bad as we played, we got a chance to win. It's not like we need an onside kick. We just need to go get a stop. That's exactly what we do. Incomplete to Graham, then complete to Trey Harris for no yards and a great play by Emmanuel Forbes. Offsides on us on third and ten, and uh, Rodney Gross just kind of jumped the snap there just a little bit. But um, that play was going nowhere. And then it brings up a third and five. They decided to run the slant again, this time inside of Martin Emerson. Emerson makes a play. Ball was a little bit off target, too. So they take over with 724. They punt the ball back at 607. 
So a couple of fourth quarter drives with a lead here, and you basically run off about two and a half minutes of, of the clock. And that really good play calling. But you know what? We'll take it. We appreciate your contribution. And again, I understand, Skip, you're trying to go win. You're going to go play to win, not play to lose. Because as well as State was playing the run at this point, probably would have been uh, – it had run some clock down, but they would not have moved the chains. All right, so we come back. Six minutes to go in the game. we got a good chance to win this thing. We're complete to Polk for three on the sidelines. He's out of bounds. We go back to Polk for eight. We're out of bounds. It's 41, and we're rolling. Then we're complete to Griffin, and this is where I really thought our perimeter blocking from our wide receivers – I thought was really kind of unnoticed on Saturday. We did a great job to spring Calvin for the touchdown, and we do a great job here to spring Tulu for 18 yards. And it looked like he was about to take that thing too. I mean, he just seems to run at a different level. And he's added some muscle mass, and this is a guy too that uh, we expect to be a real star for us this year. We have a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. I know it's been one game, but you look at this, you, you guys can kind of get a glimpse of some of the things we've seen in practice. Polk, Calvin, Tulu, those guys can play. And you know what Jaden Wally can do. We run DJ for eight yards down to the 15, and uh, it's second and two. And then it's interesting, they basically are in cloud coverage here. But Will knew exactly where he was going to go with the football, throws a strike, Wally grabs it, and it was not an easy throw. It looks easy from the sidelines. It's not so good from overhead. And you look at the fact that basically he had to rifle that thing in there between about three defenders. And it, it make the extra point, it's 35-31, and it just felt like at that point that we were going to win the ballgame. Just needed to get a stop, right? Well, this drive lasted forever. Absolutely forever, right? So, so we kick it off. Tech takes it 25. They're complete to Marcus Williams for eight. And you're thinking, let's just make a tackle at the clock run. Williams in runs for three for the first down. Complete to Harris for 22, which got it over to 50. And that, that's the play, too, that really – Made everybody uncomfortable, right? Because it's like as long as they're on their side of the field, you know, there's no chance at a field goal. This is the one that really kind of kept them in it. Williams and runs for three, and you can tell they're playing for a you know game-winning field goal. They're just trying to finish this thing up here. Incomplete uh, to Harris, Brule in his face again, and then complete to Harlan Dixon for two, which brings up a big third and seven. We call a timeout here. Set the defense. And uh, it's pretty crazy. You know, it's like uh, we're just trying to get out here and, and make a play and get this thing over with. And um, the box score is a little bit difficult here, um, just so you guys know. It's like you're running through this thing, and, then, and they, get the, uh, they get the chance to kick here. And uh, it's going to be, what, a you know, 55-yarder, 50, 56-yarder. And then they move. They move. Backs them up even more. (laughs) And uh, you're thinking, okay, well, this is great. They'll just go for it. We'll make a play. Well, they do. And um, Isaiah Graham makes a catch. The Camryon Richardson makes a tackle there. But uh, basically, he he ran Richardson off. It was kind of a comeback route. And it was great execution on both sides uh, for Kendall and Graham. Gets the first down to the 30. And at this point, you're beginning to think our goose might be cooked. Marcus Williams had runs for two. They're trying to set this thing up. We call timeout. They run for no yards. They run for four. And they call timeout with two seconds to go. And they kick the, they attempt a 46-yarder. And so what's interesting, and we have talked about this 
multiple times. It looked like he just mishit it. And they have gone back now, and they have adjusted the box score. It is now ruled a field goal block by Jaden Crumity. Some of our fans said that. They said, hey, the ball, the trajectory of the field goal changed, and they thought Crumity got it. Nobody talked about it even after film review, and then now it has now been officially changed to a field goal block. So it's not a situation where he missed it. Jaden Crumity gets a finger on it, and then it becomes a knuckleball. And so that's that's how you win the game. And, and maybe somehow that makes you, you feel a little bit better. But the bottom line is Mississippi State wins the ball game, even though they didn't play really well at times. But it's kind of like what Mike Leach said in postgame. When we stopped giving the football away, we were pretty good. And that's what's going to have to happen this week. We've got to make sure that we uh, we take care of the football. We take care of the football, we can beat NC State. I know that the, uh, the self-loathing Mississippi State fan hears that and think, oh, he's crazy. No, I'm not. I'm not. First quarter, we dominated a quarter up until the last 35 seconds. We fall asleep on a bump and run. Or excuse me, a pump and run. They just basically did a little pump and go out there. Next thing you know, they're back in the ball game. We sell out on third, on third and one. We guess wrong there. They gash us. It's football. But if we come out there and play what we did in that first and fourth quarter, we can beat NC State. I don't think there's any question. We'll talk about that later in the week. Time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's right, CloseWithBlair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. Known Blair a long time. If you're looking to, uh, to buy a house, refinance a house, get a second mortgage, perhaps uh, you know, maybe you're going to buy a fixer-upper, maybe it's an investment property, Blair is the guy to take care of you. There are a lot of people out there that want your business. And you know what? You get a lot of options. But why not go with somebody with a tremendous close rate? A guy that has seen it all, done it all in 21 years of mortgage lending. Blair Chandler has dealt with borrowers in worse situations than you. He can put you in a position to buy a home, and maybe the dream of home ownership has been elusive for you. Give Blair a chance to hound you. He'll get to work on you, and if nothing else, he can help you get into a position. You know, maybe maybe you're not ready today. Maybe you can be ready in 90 days, six months. I don't know. But have somebody like Blair Chandler that works for Fairway Mortgage, one of the top mortgage lenders in America, that can kind of guide you through that process. In the top 1% nationally in all mortgage loan originators, Blair Chandler, Mississippi State guy, I'm a firm believer in doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. Let me share you Blair's number because we're all just friends here, right? Give Blair a call. Of course, the easy thing is to remember closedwithblair.com and go visit him there. But if you want to reach him directly, 601-500-2344. And here's the thing, too. Again, 601-500-2344. Just by being a Boneyard listener, if you mention to Blair that you listened to the Boneyard or you heard about his services on the show, he'll pay for your appraisal. That's about a $300 value. I mean, just by listening to this show, you can save $300. And you know how expensive it is to do mortgage business. You know how it is. Anytime you can save a few bucks, it's a great thing. And because you're a Boneyard listener, you get a free appraisal. Outstanding. Okay, today's top 10 list. Continuing with our series on my first favorites. A lot of good reaction to that 70s list. I was out walking in the junction on, on Saturday, and I had, Probably had a dozen people walk up and say, hey, man, I, I really enjoyed that. Love the top ten list. 
Really enjoyed that one. One of my favorite ones. We, you know, if you love that one, you're going to love this one even more. We're going 80s, which is the best generation of music. It is the best decade of music. My mind will not be changed. And I don't just mean in rock. I mean in, in all things. Think about this. In the 80s, we had Michael Jackson, Prince, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen, Culture Club. I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, we had a huge, huge pop movement in the nation, too. A lot of legendary performers had their heyday in the 80s, not just the guys on Headbangers Ball. But that's what we're going to talk about today. My first favorites of bands that really kind of had their heyday in the 80s. And some of these bands started in the 70s, but had their big run in the 80s. And so I, I took, again, Ultimate Classic Rock's list. I kind of modified it a little bit because they, they included some, some bands that... Uh, so they had Poison on the list. I know you guys love Poison, but I can't do a top 10 80s list with Poison and not include Metallica. So here's a hat tip to Poison. I wasn't a big Poison fan. You guys know this. I like Poison. Some of their fans, though, that used to kind of irritate me, that they were a little bit too teeny bopperish for me, even though I was a teen. And maybe I had a friend that was his sister was in middle school. We were in high school. And she and her friends were huge Poison fans. And, like, they all, like, all of them picked one of the guys in the band to be their, quote, boyfriend. And they would have all these little pins on their denim jackets of, you know, Bobby Doll and whoever. And it just irritated me. So maybe I have unfairly maligned Poison all these years because of that experience. But Poison's not on the list today. All right, so number 10. And Poison was number 10. And I kicked them off and put Metallica on. Because how could I do... 80s and I talk about Metallica. So my first favorite song, I had a friend of mine named Jason Dossie, and Jason, a much different guy for sure. Well, so when I was listening to uh, you know all his bands from LA and out on you know the Sunset Strip, he was he was into things that were a lot darker and sinister. He loved Metallica. He was the first Metallica fan that I truly knew. He was into bands like Hallow's Eve and Merciful Fate and. Uh, you know, Danzig and people like that. And so it was a little bit darker. But uh, I went and hung out, spent the night at his house one time when we were kids, you know, and we sat around and we watched all these Metallica videos that he had. You know, he had all these you know, great bootlegs and things like that. And uh, the song that stuck out to me first of Metallica is off the Kill 'em All album, and it's No Remorse. And that's probably the only time that we may hear that on this show. It's not a huge hit for Metallica. But it was my first favorite Metallica song, No Remorse, off the first uh, Kill 'Em All album, which is on uh, Metal Force Records. Number nine, Scorpions. I think everybody's first favorite in the United States was Rock You Like a Hurricane. I don't think there's any question. It's a great song. It's a great video. I still, I still love this. You know, you know the Schenker Brothers were incredible. And even now, the song holds up. You can put it on your radio and turn it up loud, and it still sounds like that you could hear it on the radio today. And you should. The Scorpions are awesome. I've had a chance to see them live. I've never met them. They're one of the uh, the only metal bands that I, I haven't met. Uh, but the Scorps are incredible. The Scorps uh, very consistent. There's a lot of bands out there that have like one or two good songs on an album. The rest of the album is filler. That's not the case with the Scorps. Number eight, Rat. And I, I remember when I first heard about Rat, I, I can tell you where I was. I was in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. 
at the Island Echoes condominiums with my dad and, and uh, my sisters and on our annual beach trip. And we didn't have MTV when I was at that, that point in our lives. And then, uh, so any chance we got to watch MTV and everybody's like, Hey, why aren't you guys out at the beach? Well, you know, I'd rather watch MTV. <laughs> yeah. So, and then that was when round and round was really getting going. And so round and round was my very first rat favorite. It's not my favorite rat song today, but it was my first rat favorite. And, uh, of course, Milton Burl's in the video. It's all, it's all insane. But uh, number seven on the list, and even though this is my favorite 80s band, it's uh, Motley Crue. I had a friend named Mike Cook that uh, his dad owned uh, Joe's Restaurant there in Columbia. And uh, Mike lived in my neighborhood. And Mike was a couple years older than me and always had the big boom box and had all the latest cassettes. And Mike turned me on to a lot of metal for the first time. And uh, sadly, we lost Mike my senior year of high school uh, to a tragic car accident. And a lot of times when I hear these old songs, I think about Mike, and I remember his friendship. And um, I miss that guy, I really do. But um, he's the first guy that ever played Motley Crue for me. And uh, the only tape he had was uh, the Shout at the Devil album. And my favorite track on that album back then, and even now, I think it's the best Motley Crue song. It's Looks at Kill. Love looks to kill. A lot of people were on the too young to fall in love thing. I was not too young to fall in love, um, but I thought she had the looks to kill. So there you go, a little bit cheat, little cheese there for you. Uh, number six, Bon Jovi. I would not have Bon Jovi ranked ahead of Motley, but uh, this is their list. I'm working off the ultimate classic rock list here. But the very first song that I heard by Bon Jovi that I really dug was Runaway, and that wasn't even the first single off the uh, self-titled album. I think uh, She Don't Know Me was the first one. Um, and then, of course, 70, 100 Degrees Fahrenheit came out, and then Slippery When Wet came out, and that really changed the world in many respects. Bon Jovi took over for a stretch there. Number five, ACDC. They had a great run in the 70s with Bon Scott as a singer. And I remember being a kid, and I was somewhat uh, confused. It's like you go into the uh, the record stop. This, and back in those days, everybody sold records too. Like You, know, you, you could go to Gibson's, you could go to Rose's, uh, you go to Kmart, TG&Y. Everybody sold music. Everybody did. It's not like it is today. Everywhere you went, you could buy records. And so everywhere I went, even though I was a younger guy buying albums, I saw this ACDC Highway to Hell album, and it's like there's Angus Young up there with devil horns, and it just made me uncomfortable. And so I kind of avoided ACDC for a little while. And then, um, you know, Brian Johnson comes in, and there's Back in Black, which is great, and you hear that everywhere. But really the first song that really drew me in, it said, maybe I need to give these guys a try. For those about to rock, we salute you. Even to this day, I love that song. It gets me going. I get chills talking about it sometimes. That is just such a great anthemic song. One thing I'll say about ACDC, and this may hurt some feelings, there is a lot of filler on some ACDC albums. There, there really is. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, Steve, they're great. They are great. They've, they've wrote some of the greatest rock songs of all time. But I think the record company was in such a hurry to capitalize on the success of Back in Black that they push these albums out pretty much annually. And I think there's there's some thin spots in some of those early 80s and mid-80s ACDC albums. Back in Black was incredible. It is absolutely anthemic. But some of the other albums a little bit later, a little bit thinner. All right, number four, Ozzy Osbourne. And you know, if I, like everybody else, it's Crazy Train. And you know, Blizzard of Oz was originally recorded a, a demo when Ozzy was still with Black Sabbath. A lot of people don't know that. Like, they, he was going to do a solo album just really to, to branch out a little bit, too, but also because uh, he and Tommy Iommi just weren't getting along. 
And um, so Blizzard of Oz was actually going to be recorded then, and then it wasn't until after he was kicked out of the band, and that's when he found Randy Rhodes. It's crazy to think that if it had been released initially as planned, Randy Rhodes wouldn't have been on the album. Crazy Train, probably not even the same song. Number three, and even though these guys got their big start in the 70s, and I'm going to kind of break the rule a little bit, I'm going to pull a song from the 70s. Van Halen, one of the best bands of the 80s. And they were a little bit different, of course. They weren't like those guys, even though they're from Pasadena, California. They weren't, weren't really lumped in, you know, with the, the kind of the hair metal category. Because I think Eddie Van Halen's just completely different. I've always saw Van Halen as just a rock band. Like, there's some bands that just don't fit the label, and that's Van Halen. Van Halen is not limited to a genre or a time in music or trends. There is a classic rock band. And I love Van Halen, and many of you guys do too, but my very first favorite song, I could never have said this years ago, my mom would have uh, really been upset with me, but it's Running With The Devil off Van Halen 1, and there's not a bad song on that album. And I'll be honest with you, there's not a lot of filler on some Van Halen stuff, and you say, Steve, yes, there is. Like the Diver Down album, you know, you got a couple of covers on there, but Eddie is so great, it doesn't feel like filler. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you hear 1984 in its entirety, the whole album is just absolutely incredible. And then, you know, you can tell things were kind of beginning to maybe peter out a little bit later in the year in, um, with the relationship with David and Eddie, but even on the things that are just kind of okay songs, Eddie is so great you feel like you've been given a gift. That's, that is for me. I, I don't think there are bad Van Halen songs. I just don't. Number two, Def Leppard. And I remember I, I was not a huge Def Leppard fan when Hysteria was um, breaking. I was back with Pyromania. And then after I bought Pyromania, I went back and bought High and Dry. And then it's like they got a little more poppy when Mutt Lang got involved. And then like all the preps started listening to it. And so I kind of rejected that, I guess, because I was so judgmental as a kid. It was like, I, I want my bands to be successful, but not too successful. Not so successful to the point that, like, people that irritate me become fans of the band, right? That's how I felt back then. I don't even care anymore. You listen to whatever you want to now. I don't, I don't care. I listen to what I want. You listen to what you want. We can all be friends. But for me, me and my friends used to love to be in the cafeteria line and say, Juden, Gleden, Glauden, Gloden, which is the, the introduction to Rock of Ages off that great Pyromania album. Now, my favorite Def Leppard song of all time is Photograph. I think that riff is just perfect. But uh, Rock of Ages was the first one that pulled me in. And number one, and this is one of those great moments in rock, man. I remember this like it was yesterday. I was at my dad's. We had gone to North Park Mall. We had spent some money at uh, Bebop Record Shop and at Spencer's Gifts. You know, growing up in South Mississippi, you know, unless we had a chance to ride over to Hattiesburg, you know, we get a chance to do a lot of shopping. And they didn't carry a lot of the stuff that we wanted because we were rock kids. And so we'd have to go to Jackson and buy stuff at the mall. And so we would save our money up every time I get to go to my dad's once a month. And I would spend every time I had at Bebop Record Shop and at Spencer Gifts because I had to get the newest stuff because Walmart didn't always you know, carry the stuff that I wanted to hear. And so all that was over with. And we went back home to watch Headbangers Ball. And they debuted Welcome to the Jungle. And I remember thinking, where in the world has this been? What, what, what is going on? Guns and Roses. And so the next day, I went out and cut grass 
and then bought Appetite for Destruction on cassette. I went out and mowed somebody's yard to make 10 bucks, got a ride back to Bebop Record Shop, and I bought Appetite for Destruction. I still have the cassette to this day. But it was one of those moments where you think, this is incredible. And what's so weird about it is like I've talked to other people and they said, dude, I, was, I remember when they did that, that, that too. I remember when they debuted it. I remember where I was and who I was with. And this is what rock music is missing today is Guns N' Roses. And I don't mean Guns N' Roses is the reunion. We need a new band. We need somebody to come in here and be a new headliner, somebody to come in here and kind of turn this industry on its ear for a while. That hadn't happened in a long time. And so Guns was one of those bands. It, listen, even though, listen, Metallica was rolling, Molly Crew was rolling, Rat, you had so many great bands that were headlining arenas and selling out uh, concerts all over the country and all over the world. Had, I mean, you had, you had Whitesnake and Skid Row. I mean, they were, they were people making millions and millions of dollars off rock. And then Guns came on and kind of spit in everybody's face because there was some authenticity with them. They were kind of the anti-poison, if you know what I'm saying. It's like, you know, you look at so many of these guys, like they're, they're the Revlon rockers, right? And Motley's been labeled some of that too, you know. But, uh, but you know, Guns was just, you know, you look at those guys, and you're like, these guys are singing about this stuff, and, and there's some authenticity with them. I, I believe these guys. You know, there's not just some cute guy up there with a teased up hair and a, and a you know, a neon green guitar, you know, playing and, and making it seem like that he's some kind of rocker. I mean, these guys are, these guys are a little bit scary. And so it pulled me in and I, li- I listened to Appetite Destruction in its entirety the very first time. And I sat down and I thought, this is going to be one of the, my favorite albums. And to this day, it still is. Because, there, again, there's no filler on that Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction album. There's a couple songs in uh, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 that I think are clankers, but uh, Appetite for Destruction is basically, in, in many respects, you go back and think about like what ACDC was with Back at Black and what Led Zeppelin was with Led Zeppelin 4. In many respects, that's what this GNR Appetite for Destruction album was. So there you go. That's a top 10 first favorites for the 1980s. On Wednesday, we'll get into the 1990s. Be a much different sound. A lot of different stories. So there you go. That's a top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Next segment of the show brought to you by your good friends at Campus Bookmart. Stan and Mammoth, Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, the whole crew there. Love them all. I do. They're like family to me, and I love going in there. They've been very, very gracious to me over the years. It's been a great partnership for us. And uh, when you're in town, go by and see them. But if you can't make it to town... And maybe you just enjoy online shopping. It's like, you know what, Steve, I just don't want to put myself at risk or whatever. And I don't want to have, go to game day and be, be rushed. I don't want to have to worry about parking. I just want to get to my spot and enjoy the day. That's cool. Visit them online at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll give, give you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's BSR at campusbookmart.net. Let's take a look around the SEC to see how things went. There were some upsets in the league. And I'll be honest with you, I'm already in the hole, man, in our, our pick-ems uh, over on Gene's page. I am. Because uh, there were a couple games that didn't go the way I expected. And a couple of those probably surprised a lot of people. But um, – of course, if we discussed you know, on Thursday, Tennessee beats Bowling Green 38-6. Kentucky takes care of Louisiana Monroe 45-10. to 
Arkansas, 38-17 winners over Rice. That game was a bit of a struggle for a half, and then Arkansas took over in the second half. Alabama absolutely destroys Miami, 44-13. And again, you know, I think Miami's going to be good in their league. I just I think the days of the U are over. And they've been over for a while. I just don't think, you know, until Miami really commits some resources uh, to upgrading their facilities and that sort of stuff, it's just, you know, it's not it's not at all what it what, what it once was. They're just not that same swag about Miami anymore. And, of course, State beats uh, Louisiana Tech 35-34. Missouri, 34-24 winners over Central Michigan. I'm I, Again, I hate to keep blabbering this point, but I think Missouri is going to be – Missouri is going to beat somebody that people aren't expecting, and maybe two teams. Uh, Auburn, 60-10 winners over Akron. A good start to the Brian Harson era there in, on the Plains. South Carolina, 46-0 winners over Eastern Illinois. Good for Shane Beamer and his grad assistant quarterback. Georgia, 10-3 winners over Clemson. Yeah, to be honest with you, a little disappointed that uh, Georgia couldn't muster an offensive touchdown. But a win's a win's a win, right? I mean, that's the thing, too. It's a it's a top-five win for Georgia. And then, like, you go read their message boards and people are like, oh, my gosh, we got to put better on offense. Guys, you just beat Clemson. Pump the brakes. Relax a little bit. You'll have time to get the offense going. Uh, Florida, 35-14 winners over FAU. Emory Jones really struggled in this ball game, And uh, Dan was asked after the ball game, you know, any chance of two quarterback systems? Like, no, Emory's our starter. Guys, I, I was an Emory Jones fan when he was a recruit and uh, actually got a chance to see him in practice at Florida when I went down there to cover the uh, Mississippi State Baseball Series down there a couple of years ago. And he just, you know, the running aspect of it is next level. This guy is, with his own read, he is so slippery. But when you put him in a situation where the decision-making process can be a little bit convoluted, he struggles. Now, as far as, like, when you roll him left and give him a high-low option, he's going to hit that right almost every time. But when you try to make him a drop-back passer, I just don't think he's comfortable. I just don't. All right, A&M 41-10 winners over Kent State. No surprise there. East Tennessee rolls into Nashville. And blows out Vanderbilt at home 23-3. to uh, The Clark Lee era, not off to a good start. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about this a little bit, too, just because some of you uh, are aware of this, and maybe some of you have forgotten about this. But um, when State played Vanderbilt in baseball in Nashville, the Vanderbilt football players were on top of the Vanderbilt dugout and uh, were incredibly obnoxious. And I don't, I don't just mean they're just cheering for their team. Uh, they made some comments that um, were highly inappropriate, and uh, I thought it was an embarrassment to Vanderbilt. And then just when I thought things couldn't get worse, after game three, the Vanderbilt football players, some of them, went by the Mississippi State bus, got into it with some of the Mississippi State baseball parents, began to run their mouth and really embarrass the university. And this was witnessed by countless people. And so I wonder maybe when we get ready to go play them, maybe Logan Tanner and Landon Sims and those guys can go sit behind uh, the Vanderbilt football bench. No, we're, we're above that sort of thing. But it's so interesting that the Vanderbilt football players were so boisterous and so obnoxious about that series, and then they get beat by East Tennessee State. Right? Are you kidding me, guys? Maybe you don't come to baseball games. Maybe you should be in the weight room. Maybe you should be in the playbook. Maybe you shouldn't be wearing, you know, some trucker outfit with uh, cut-off shorts 
and uh, work boots and a flannel shirt out there on top of a baseball dugout making negative comments about people you don't know. And so, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of funny. I did. I thought it was funny that Vanderbilt lost the way that they did because of how their players acted. And so karma is a real thing. You guys deserved it. And uh, what's it, 11 straight losses now? 11 straight. Didn't win a game last year. And you get beat by East Tennessee in your own place. It's incredible what happens at Vanderbilt when they don't have a scholarship advantage. Right? I mean, you know, it's like you hear all the baseball stuff, and it's like, you know, Nashville is just a great SEC town. And it is. And Vanderbilt provides a great education. And they do. But it's amazing what happens when the scholarship playing field is level. So is Nashville not a magical place for football? Is that a magical place for basketball? Why is it only like, like that for baseball? I mean, just, you know, just kind of points to ponder there. Why is it only so magical when it's baseball? And never been to Omaha before Tim Corbin got there. Never in their history have they been to Omaha before Tim Corbin got there. We belabored that point a lot. So, but again, I did take, I did, I did snicker a little bit. Uh, Ed Orgeron is in trouble at LSU. I think everybody sees that. Uh, Ed Orgeron caught light in the bottle a couple of years ago with uh, Joe Brady and Joe Burrow. Uh, they're not coming out of that tunnel now. They're not. And uh, Orgeron gets into it with a UCLA fan. The, the, the clip goes viral. And listen, I love the fact that Ed is not scared to say what he wants to say, but here's the deal. When you go out there and you talk about somebody's sissy blue shirt and then they then they go out there and beat you the way that UCLA beat LSU and then the official UCLA football Twitter account changes their header to say sissy blue, um, that kind of stuff sticks around. You've already got all this other stuff going on. You've got these allegations of sexual assault and all these Title IX violations. You've got some football stuff. You took a bowl ban last year. You had a bad year last year. And then you open up the year with a more talented team and lose to an unranked opponent on the road. And that game, the score is not truly indicative of how much better UCLA was in the game. I don't think there was any question. UCLA was going to win that thing. I mean, it was just, you know, you watch it as it happens, and it just seemed like you know, UCLA that should be the team that should have been ranked. They were just quicker everywhere. So there you go. That's your uh, wrap-up of the SEC. A couple things I want to get to before we get to our uh, our final segment of the show. I have read with great interest uh, some people that were upset about some of the things that Mike Leach said in postgame. I'm actually more upset about some of your comments than I am Mike's comments. I thought everything Mike Leach had to say was, was timely and honest. When, when did honesty become so out of style? They said, oh, well, he threw his team under the bus. No, he didn't. He told the truth. What am I? What is he supposed to go say? We all saw it. We played like trash for two quarters. But fortunately, we were talented enough and conditioned enough and determined enough to go win the ball game. And he gave a lot of credit for those guys for not quitting. He also said countless times that they got coached better. You go back and watch the uh, interview on ESPNU. It's out there. He said, in starting with me, we have to coach a lot better. So it's not like he's shifting blame. There are some people in this fan base that it is apparent they're not going to give Mike Leach a fair chance. And they are so invested in their own narrative that they want him to be wrong that there's a part of them that's rooting against Mississippi State. So they can come out and say, I was right. 
Well, I hope you're wrong. I think your line of thinking is wrong, and I would never in a million years want something negative to happen to Mississippi State. But let me go over some of these comments, too, just to kind of frame them up before we get to our uh, Portico hero of the, of the program. And so so here's in, – in, in this one, there's a little sarcasm in what he says, but uh, we talked about his message in the fourth quarter. He goes, I basically said we tried every way known to man to lose it, so just for fun, let's try something different. Let's go ahead and do our job. Let's go ahead and make it look like Wednesday's practice because we've got nothing to lose. Just do your job and do it as fast as you can, and off we went. Sometimes you think there's some anxiety going into a game, me in particular, but our coaching staff, we didn't have them ready to play, not very well. Let me repeat that part for all of you out there that are saying, hey, he's throwing the team under the bus. There, sometimes you think there's some anxiety going into a game, me in particular, but our coaching staff, we didn't have them ready to play not very well. That's in his opening comment. So he's throwing himself under the bus, by your definition, throwing his own coaches under the bus. We didn't have them ready to play not very well. But go off. The end was good, which illustrates how good you can be if you play like that on all three sides of the ball. It was a great win. From what I understand, it's the biggest comeback in school history. We did have contributions on offense, defense, and special teams to win that game. The thing is, we squandered an awful lot, and we did it early, and we did it in a bad fashion. We've got to go back and coach better. I'm going to repeat that just in case you didn't hear it. We have got to go back and coach better. So two times in his opening statement, he references his coaching and that of his staff. Coaching. For whatever that's worth, I don't understand why we want to score a press conference. I mean, like if we, if we go out and have a great press conference, are they going to put a few more points on the board? Does that change anything? We're, we're, we're majoring in minor things, people. Majoring in minor things. It's like we lose a ball game. Like, what would happen? It's like, and I, listen, I love Joe Moorhead to death, but how many times did we go out there and play like absolute trash and then Joe get up there and say, hey, you know what, we're going to point the thumb and not the finger? You know, he said all the right things, but you never saw it on the field. Oh, there's going to be accountability, but there wasn't any. And some of those same guys who are playing undisciplined football continued to play football under Joe. And so we get into some of that too with, uh, with Mike where he taught, he addressed some of that thing. So let me get into this next comment. Uh, and I think this is my question. You know, um, talk a little about them kind of opening up the vertical pass game a little bit. And he goes, hey, is that when we were, we were giving it back to them at every turn, to my turnovers? When we started to come back, it wasn't that so much. We stopped turning the football over is what he's saying. The starting point was we stopped giving it back. One of the biggest keys to finishing a drive is don't give the ball back to the other guy. I think that was a critical step. We went through a period in the third where some guys quit. And we're going to look at that on, on film. If a guy quits, that's coaching. If a guy quits, that's coaching. you got to coach them different or get a different guy. We've got to adjust that. The biggest thing is we just played together more consistently. It was a series of overcorrections. 
We went out there and we started pretty good and we got up on them two touchdowns and we felt like this is going to be easy. And some of the guys took their foot off the throttle, thought they'd start some screwy victory lap or something. And can you imagine doing that against Louisiana Tech, a team that drops players in the NFL every year and has upset team after team after team? One of the most brutal teams on earth to play over history. Nevertheless, we did that. After we took the foot off the throttle, we panicked. And it was team-wide. It wasn't specific side of the ball. Then we tried to make too much happen, and the thing blew up in our face. In the fourth quarter, we settled down. We played fast for the full quarter and made up a lot of lost ground and really played well that fourth quarter. If we only get half of that, we're a better team. We get four quarters of that, we're a great team. Louisiana Tech has a lot of experienced guys. They've got a bunch of seniors. They've, got a, they've, they've kind of exposed some of our immaturity. We're growing. We're getting there. They play like guys who have played more football. And then I get in here and I go read some of the commentary on social media. And, um, you know, I look at some of the stuff that is posted in some of these Facebook groups. And I had to go back and read the press conference transcript again. I'm like, was, was I asleep during this? I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm ready to go get in the air conditioning because it's been a long and humid and hot day. I'm ready to get home and get something to eat. I went back and read a transcript again. I'm like, what, what did I miss? What are they talking about? And the truth of the matter is they're wrong. They're wrong. And then I do the Facebook Live last night. I got people, are, you know, hey, Steve, do we think we should trade quarterback? Are, are you What? Should we change quarterbacks? Well, let, me, let, me, let me guys tell you this. N- number one, you don't have anybody else ready to go, first of all. But secondly, let's look at something here, okay? Because I, I, I think we have lost a sense of reality in some respects. I think sometimes our emotions get the better of us. and think, oh, my gosh, we almost lost Louisiana Tech. Who can we blame? I don't know. Let's go blame the quarterback. Well, I'm, I'm not going to blame the quarterback. How about that? Let's look at the actual numbers, okay? Let's go look at this, and let's be objective about this. Let's all take a deep breath together, okay? All right? We're going to look at the numbers objectively. Let's look at the individual numbers for Will Rogers. Will Rogers was 39 of 47. That's eight incompletions. At least three of those were drops, at least three. Two others were throwaways, and you had to pick six. So basically, our quarterback went exactly where he wanted to go with the football about 44 out of 47 attempts. 44 out of 47 for 370 yards and three touchdowns. It's like sometimes we, we, think, we see that pick six, and listen, it was awful. There's no defending that play. It's a first down play. You got three more downs figured out. You throw the ball away. Will made a mistake in his seventh start of his career. The guy hadn't played a lot of college football. He made a mistake. And fortunately, we lived to tell about it. But it's like that play, it's like it, it erases everything else we did. I don't know if you know this. He went 10 for 10 in the fourth quarter. 10 for 10. And he won the game. He wasn't, went alone, but he won the game. We had three sacks on the day. Uh at least one of those is his fault for holding the ball too long. A couple other times, you know, we got beat. You know, they beat us on that stunt. We adjusted to it. You know, we didn't give up. Uh, the second half, offensive line played really well. If they don't, we don't win the game. 
But I want to go back and look, too. Again, 370 yards, three touchdowns, uh, crazy numbers. And you look at these great receivers that we have, and you can see that uh, there are more big numbers on the way. There's no question about that. But let's take a look at last year. Individual game summaries for Will Rogers. And this is the kind of stuff, too. I just laugh. All right, so last year against Kentucky, 43 yards. Uh, Texas A&M, he's 15 of 18 to, for 120. Against Alabama, he's 24 of 37 for 147 in, in, a, in reserve role. Vanderbilt, his first start, 35 of 46 for 226 yards and touchdown. At Georgia, 41 of 52, 336 yards and a touchdown. That's some people thought, figured, you know, this is our guy. He's our quarterback. We should have beat Georgia. Then we go to Oxford, he's 45 of 61, 440 yards, three touchdowns. Completion percentage a little bit better there. We win, we win that game, right? And so the biggest game he had, numbers-wise, last year was against Ole Miss, 440. Now, granted, they were a bad defense. But my point being is that he has his best game as a collegiate player, and some of us want to want to bench him. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to hurt any feelings. I just want you to use a little more discretion in some of your commentary. And, and it's some of you guys have never played sports, even in the high school level or beyond. And uh, that's not to say you don't know anything about sports. I'm not trying to suggest that at all. But there are a lot of people that never coached or played, you know, maybe beyond like the, you know, the little league level. And, again, I'm not saying that to be negative. That's just a reality. But you don't go make wholesale changes after one game. You've had the benefit of fall camp to see these guys in practice. Listen, they've all had a chance to compete. Okay, your best players are on the field in the starting lineup now. And it's not like we just picked a team and said, okay, you go, you go try. No. Guys, they have been practicing all throughout the month of August. They've had practices, what, four and five times a week. And so they have had the opportunity to compete. And if you think we're fixing to pull a quarterback that had 80 incompletions and threw for 370 yards and three touchdowns and was absolute magic down the stretch, it's not going to happen. And I wish, to be honest with you, I wish we would stop spreading that type of poison. Well, Rodgers played well. There were some times that one series were backed up against the goal line. You know, we throw that swing pass out for negative yards to Woody and that shovel pass. You know what? Those were not our best moments. But you know what? You're not going to score every drive. I wish we did. It'd make life a lot easier. Then some people were saying, Steve, do you think we'll make some changes in starters in the offensive line? No. If those guys that were on the second team were good enough to start, they would be starting. Sometimes you got to stick with your guys and let them work through and figure it out. And again, you know, the offensive line had some struggles in the first half. In the second half, they were outstanding. And so, again, let's see what happens this week. The NC State's going to be better than, better, better than Louisiana Tech. And you know what? Mississippi State's going to play better than they did last week, too. So we'll see. This is the one game we've been worried about most of the year as far as the non conference goes. So we'll see how things progress. But no, we're not going to go, we're not going to change quarterbacks. I mean, the numbers and the results are what – if I had told you on Friday, hey, we're going to score 35 points, you're going to say, you know what, we're going to win that game going away. We didn't. We won 35-34 because we gave them some big plays on defense. And you know what, if I'm going to have issues early, I'd rather have them on defense because I know that Zach Arnett's going to fix them. And it's not like they had these sustained drives. 
they hit us on a couple of big plays. When they had it, when we make them, when we made them drive the field, they couldn't do it. But we give them the short field, and they score. And so I'm not worried about that. I think it's just time for us all to take a deep breath, kind of move forward, and understand, hey. This is a team that is going to have to win the games it's supposed to to get to a bowl game. From the beginning of the year, everybody said, you know what, hey, probably going to be a 7-5 type team. And you know what? We went out there and played like a 7-5 type team yesterday. And, again, I give Tech credit. They're better than I expect them to be. But at the end of the day, it was about what we didn't do rather than what they did. And that's what coaching will do. We'll fix that. Time for the final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You guys, I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. It should be so much more convenient. Not that I don't enjoy the place that I have, but I would like to be closer to campus. 1.1 miles from campus. Very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on the 12, the very first right. It's Pat Station Road. You follow that, takes you to Portico. It's right there off campus. It's wonderful. Brand new construction. Phase one, I think there's one house left in phase one. Phase two, up and running now, getting ready to roll. Many of you have said, you know what, hey, I, I love Starkville. I'd love to live here. I'd love to have a place there. And maybe we, we would retire here. This, We want you to come. And how great would it be to be on the backside of campus, right, where you have the opportunity to be close to campus, have the convenience of campus without all the hustle and bustle, you know. And then you're not that far from, from uh, you know, all your favorite restaurants, too. Uh, Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog, is a big part of this developmental group that has brought this great residential complex uh, right here to Starkville. Give Brooks a call today, 601-416-8075, 601-416-8075. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath house, up to four-bedroom, four-bath house. It's right here where you want to be. Make Portico your next move. All right. Today's hero is uh, a guy that uh, I had a chance to interview several years ago, Hole Granger. You probably read that as Hole Granger. It's Granger because he is a Cajun. And uh, I interviewed him years ago and uh, quoted him in uh, a couple books of mine. But Hole Granger was a guy that really changed a lot of things at Mississippi State. And so, as you guys are well aware... You know, from 1940, we, we won the 46 Egg Bowl. We didn't win again until 1964. And for those of you that lived through that, my hats are off to you because you are better people than me. I cannot begin to imagine going all those years and never having a chance to celebrate winning the Golden Egg. It's 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 incredible. So Hall Granger uh, was a guy that was uh, you know largely recruited by a lot of Southern schools out of Oberlin, Louisiana. State went down there and signed the whole backfield, the entire backfield of the team, and, and got some good players out of the deal. But uh, so when Oberlin High School was um, you know, kind of a powerhouse, I guess, in those days. They won the state championship in 1961, and it is the only state championship in Oberlin High School history. And then Hull came to Mississippi State, was part of uh, some great teams in 63. In 63, we tied Ole Miss and Starkville. And Granger told me that uh, you'd have thought we'd won an AFL championship. Because Ole Miss was expected to be really good that year. And we tie them. They ended up not having a great year. But we tie them. And then in 64, 
we went to Oxford and we beat them for the first time since 1946. That's the difference in the, in the, the, the series, is that stretch, right? And so Granger said, you know, when he came to Mississippi State, he really wanted to beat LSU. You know, really wanted to beat LSU because he was a Louisiana guy, and, of course, they, uh, they weren't as serious about him as Mississippi State was. But he said, man, the longer that I lived in Mississippi and the more that I was around Mississippi State, the more I wanted to beat Ole Miss. And because of the time, you know, this is an Ole Miss's heyday. They're playing really well. And so they were kind of the measuring stick. And then the fact that we hadn't won in forever in a day just made it mean that much more. And one of the things they told me, too, is after the game was over that, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of shaking hands. There wasn't like the Ole Miss guys. They, they weren't. They weren't mean-spirited. They weren't disappointed. I guess I mean, I mean, I guess you're upset to lose a ball game, but there wasn't any nonsense. It said, if anything, the guys were very respectful. And it's like, hey, congratulations, you know. And um, it was big for us. It was huge for us. And uh, Granger was a big part of that, uh, needless to say. One of the leading running backs in Mississippi State history. Pretty crazy. Think about that. And, of course, that was the days, too, that uh, – you wanted the big bruiser of a back, 6'1", 225 pounds. Bill McGuire told me once that Hall Granger's calves were as big as most players' thighs, that he was just one of those guys that had a great, great low center of gravity and could really move the pile. After his time at Mississippi State was done, Hall Granger signed with the Houston Oilers of the AFL. That's right. That's pre-merger. He was selected uh, in the fifth round. The 37th pick in the draft, 1966. He stays with the Oilers from 66 to 70. Spent a year with the Saints in 71, then back to the Oilers in 72. He was an all-star in the AFL twice in both 67 and 68. Uh, as a rookie, he kind of broke out, did some big things, and then ultimately became a guy that was uh, kind of counted on in a major way in the Oilers ground game. It just became a guy that uh, was just the grinded out guy for them. 805 rushing attempts in his career for 3,653 yards and 19 touchdowns in the National Football League. And it was a different game back then, much different game back then like it is today. It was a war of attrition back in those days. And then uh, you had a guy like him that really changed everything. Granger, obviously an all-state player in high school, uh, won the state championship in 61, as we talked about. He was all SEC all three years when he was at Mississippi State. And, of course, the two years as an all-star in the AFL. Led the AFL in yards from scrimmage in 1968. To this day, ranked sixth all-time in rushing yards for the Oilers slash Tennessee Titans. He is in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, in the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame, in the Mississippi State Hall of Fame. So there you go, Hall Granger, a living legend, a guy that uh, did a lot of great things at Mississippi State and uh, still believes in the Bulldogs. So that's, uh, that's your, your legend for today, Hall Granger. Led Mississippi State to break the streak against Ole Miss, uh, a, a streak of futility that uh, Eagle Motlich was the hero in the 46, Egg Bowl, and then it's Hall Granger in the 64 Egg Bowl to change it all. So, again, I think it's important that we recognize these contributions. And my hope is you guys will go out and do some of your research yourself. See, I like a little more about this guy. But Hall Granger, uh, a, a gentleman and a saint in many respects. 
All right, that's going to do it for today. I hope you guys are excited about the week to come. And listen, take a deep breath. All right, we won the ball game. And all this worry and strife and wringing of hands is not going to change anything. We can't go back and fix that game. We can learn from it and move forward. But the good thing is we didn't have to lose the ball game to learn the lesson. Remind you guys, too, Dogpile will be out here in a couple months. And, uh, again, I keep telling me they're working on this pre-order link. And uh, hopefully we have that. I'm going to call and check on that today. I'll have an update for you guys on Wednesday about that. But uh, eager to get that done. If you're looking for the other books, you can find them at alphadogsthebook.com. Blooms of Oleander, of course, available through your favorite bookstores or through Amazon.com and many other places. A lot of you people have reached out, told me how much you've enjoyed that book. Uh, probably do something like that again in the years to come, but uh, not any immediate plans uh, right now. I'm going to enjoy the uh, fruits of the labor for Dogpile, and um, I don't know. We'll see what we do next year. i got a couple of ideas about some other things I might want to do, so we'll see how things progress. But until next time. Let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.